you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Today's guest is from InsureTech Royalty. He's part of a select club of executives running youthful insurance businesses with valuations exceeding a billion dollars. Boltech and its group CEO, Rob Schimek, have been in a hurry, building technology and a licensed ecosystem that is connecting large companies and their customers, brokers and other intermediaries, carriers and thousands of their insurance products in 30 markets across three continents. It's done this from a standing start in only 2020. And today, billions of dollars of business are quoted through the fluid connections that the business facilitates. I've been around insurance and technology long enough to know that getting this kind of traction this quickly is something special, and that's why I wanted to get Rob on the show. In the last two decades, insurance investment graveyards have been filled with big, bold ideas like this, and I wanted to get to the heart of what Boltec is trying to do differently. It turns out that far from disruption, the firm's approach is to bring collaboration and flexibility to everything it does. It's also incredibly focused on the hard and unglamorous technical yards of insurance that so many more naive insurtechs make the mistake of overlooking. Dealing seamlessly with the complex regulatory aspects of selling thousands of products in different markets, perhaps through unlicensed entities, is an enormous challenge that this business takes just as seriously as the tech side of things. With a very senior insurance career already under his belt, Rob really is one of us. So listen on for an idea of what the future of general insurance distribution is going to look like. And if you were ever dying to learn what all the fuss surrounding embedded insurance is really all about, then you have absolutely come to the right place. Enjoy the podcast. Rob, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Mark, thanks for having me today. Boltech, you're probably tired of doing this because you've pitched this lots of times to different investors and different people over the last few years, I'm sure. But please, just one more time for us who don't know you, run us through the Boltech offering. What does it do and how does it do it? Mark, I'll never get tired of talking about the Boltec offering. So thanks for giving me the chance to do this. Let me start very high level for a second and just level set. So Boltec is an international insure tech with a mission to build the world's leading technology-enabled insurance ecosystem. So that's a lot of words. I'll unpack that here in our discussion today. But I would just say in summary, the business that we're providing here with Boltec it really brings the technology and the insurance expertise together that's needed to connect insurers, distributors, and customers. And our goal is just to make it easier and more efficient to buy and sell insurance. And that's almost anywhere in the world. Interesting that you ask that. So today, we are operating on three continents, North America, Asia, and Europe. And we have licenses in all 50 states in the U.S., as well as many international jurisdictions. But we operate in 30 markets across those three continents. And we do this capability that Boltec brings to the table using a combination of distribution partners who are really important to us. We use 800 different distribution partners on the Boltec Exchange. And we are a connection point bringing those distribution partners who want to sell insurance. So we're a B2B2C player. We bring those distribution partners together with the insurance providers, the insurance carriers. And our platform has over 200 insurance carriers. And we offer in excess of 6,000 product variations that enable our customers to buy just about anything they want in any of the 30 markets that we operate in across the three continents, North America, Asia, and Europe. And when you say ecosystem, so for example, about those licenses, obviously we don't have ecosystem licenses. So when you go into a state in the US, what license do you actually apply for? Technically, would they see you as a broker or an agent? Is that the sort of license you're likely to have? Exactly, Mark. So we are a licensed broker in all 50 states. And the reason is that we are truly an insure tech that brings together technology as well as insurance licenses and insurance expertise. That distribution license that is required, not just in the United States, all 50 states in the US, but also internationally, it requires us to be a licensed seller of insurance. So it's not just a matter of having technology and being great with the tech space. 
but we also have to be great with insurance and understand the laws, the regulations, and the individual markets that we operate in as an insurance distributor. That's interesting because obviously you've got a long background in AIG, a long career, and you have four years at FWD in Singapore as well. Is that the difference, do you think? Because I've been reporting on digital insurance exchanges and probably aspiring to become ecosystems for many, many years, for, for as long as the internet has really existed, You know, certainly for the last 20 years. And I've mostly reported on those aspirant ecosystems failing to get any kind of traction. And I want to ask you, what do you think the problem with a lot of those failures in the past and why you've got this traction, which has become so impressive, obviously has personally put you on my radar? Well, let me start with what actually is the traction we've gained, just to put this in context for everyone. In the past 12 months, we have provided quotes to potential buyers of insurance in US dollars over $50 billion worth of annualized premiums. And the single biggest market that we operate in is the US. But as yeah. I mentioned to you previously, we're operating across 30 different markets in North America, Europe, and Asia. I think that over time have seen that many insure techs put a lot of emphasis on technology capabilities, but not enough focus on insurance expertise. So I'm the first to admit to you, I'm a bit of an insurance geek, and I had a wonderful 12-year stint at AIG, which is a great learning ground. And I learned a lot of things that I wanted to replicate, but I also learned a lot of things that I thought should be done differently. And what has made this exchange so successful is that great combination of technology capabilities and insurance expertise. So we focus on being experts in both of those areas, technology and insurance. And I think that that's been the overall recipe for success. Now, I would say that one of the other considerations that is really important if you want to be a insurance exchange that operates in more than just one market is you really have to actually do something like I've done, which is clearly from this accent from the US. I'm from the wonderful state of Pennsylvania, go Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> and you've got to understand the markets that you're operating in. So one of the things that's been a secret to success for Boltec is that you have someone like me who literally picked up and moved to Southeast Asia. I live in this market each and every day. And one lesson that we learned is that any international insure tech has to really understand the landscape that differs market by market. And so there's a ton of challenges that come from insure techs that really are hard to anticipate. And the only way you can be prepared for those things is to understand the regulatory requirements, the cultural and language barriers, the customer preferences, the varying levels of technology adoption. And you've got to live it, breathe it, and experience it each and every day to be successful. You picked Singapore as your global headquarters. Well, why that? And also you've gone sort of global straight away, which is, again, that's exceptional. Most players will start in one market. And and obviously, if you start in the US, you're already in the biggest market in the world. So that's a good place to start. And then maybe in year four or five, you maybe expand you know, to Europe and Asia. So first of all, I'd like to ask you, what is it about Singapore that has attracted you as a global headquarters for a new business? Because that isn't necessarily a normal playbook for most insurtechs. The first thing I'd say, Mark, is that we did have great success in the U.S. marketplace, and we have some awesome distribution partners in the U.S. We have many great insurance carrier partners in the U.S., and that helped us to learn a lot of lessons and to get a lot of traction. But there was no question that the opportunity here was bigger than the U.S., that it was not limited to the 50 states of the U.S., but we loved the idea of bringing this to the Asian marketplace. And so for many people, they have the same view that I do, which is Singapore with a really robust economy, with an efficient infrastructure, with ease of access to the rest of the Southeast Asian region, and the whole talent pool that's out here makes it just an absolutely excellent base. And we are big believers that the Southeast Asian marketplace is going to experience outsized growth in this space over time. 
And so all of the lessons and all of the capabilities that we've developed in the U.S., we've also brought here to Southeast Asia. I live in Singapore on a day-to-day basis, as well as a number of the key members of my leadership team, where we've lived from the very beginning of the conception of what is Boltec, which was officially launched in early 2020. And so we just believed that you want to be in the place that's going to experience outsized growth. You do want to have some home base that's created real lessons that can be leveraged, which we have from the U.S., but we've also had the great support of the Singapore government. I was going to ask about that regulator. You know, I've been in insurance events in New York and uh, the drinks afterwards, networking with people. I meet someone who's actually from the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And I say, well, what are you doing here? And they say, well, my job is actually to recruit new people and get them to come to Singapore, which is crazy. You know, when you think as a UK citizen or a US citizen, you'd never see that from our regulators, would you? (laughs) I'll always be kind to the regulators in, in all of the countries recognizing their important role. With that said, I will be biased here and say that the Singaporean regulatory regime is really very much cutting edge. They're very much focused on the future of where the ball is going than where the ball has been historically. They love to focus on innovation. They love to focus on the insure tech space, and they've made it very welcoming for us. So we have had continued investment into Boltech from the investment arm of Singapore's Economic Development Board, which is one of our key strategic investors. We've also been able to successfully, with the help of the regulators, acquire and rebrand a Singapore-based insurance intermediary, a broker, um, AVA Insurance here in Singapore. And that is now part of the Boltec Group. And so we kind of look at this as sort of the perfect location. It's got a great economy, a great infrastructure. It's really a great place to get to the rest of the Southeast Asian marketplace. And quite frankly, the investment that we've received from the EDBI here in Singapore has made it very compelling for us to continue to invest in this as our regional headquarters. And quite frankly, it's our global headquarters. And we're quite proud of that. The last thing on big picture, how many staff have you got now? We have about 1,500 staff members. That's amazing. Um, That's in two years. It is. Now, the 1,500 are really a compilation of digital and technology specialists. And that's maybe about a third of the people. We have about 500 distribution people who help our distribution partners understand how to really sell insurance and sell insurance in the most compliant way, the way that matches up with the regulatory requirements in whatever country that we are. And then we have 500 people that it takes to run a company that operates across three continents and 30 different jurisdictions. Let's get into some of the details. So you're sitting in the middle of the insurance world, connecting hundreds of carriers with with hundreds of brokers, and of course, actual companies that have consumer relationships via that B2B2C idea. What's your revenue model, for example? How do you make your dime? Time for an ad break. We'll get back to the podcast after this very brief message. So much has changed in the last few years, not least in Bolton Associates' world of recruiting actuaries and insurance. There is more and more need for actuaries and cap modellers. Demand is outstripping supply. But this is not the first time we've seen this. Bolton Associates has operated in this market for over 20 years. We know what attracts candidates to roles and what matters in this hybrid working world. We're having conversations with firms all needing actuaries, be they syndicates, MGAs, brokers... They need pricing actuaries, heads of capital, reserving specialists. Plus, the larger players looking at restructures are asking us to find group roles, such as CRO, chief actuary, and some CFOs. The actuarial skill set really does now reach all levels of the board. In 2022, several senior actuaries took the CEO role, with more to come in 2023. So watch this space. And this is where the Bolton Associates Network comes into play. We can build your actuarial function and also draw on our established network to find those actuaries who have skills not only with numbers, but with leadership, people, and specific insurance knowledge. 2023 has many exciting events for Bolton Associates coming up, keeping the market linked up, engaged, and hopefully having a bit of fun. We're good at what we do, because we enjoy what we do. 
So if you want us to find your elusive actuary, fresh new juniors, or hear which firms are looking after their staff, then do get in touch. We're on Lime Street, so we're pretty easy to find, unlike that reinsurance pricing actuary you're currently struggling to hire. Let's speak soon. Get in touch at bolton-associates.co.uk. We have a very flexible revenue model, so we've built great technology. By the way, our technology headquarters is really in three hubs around the world, Tel Aviv, Kuala Lumpur, and then also in Portugal. And that's where most of that tech and digital talent sits on a day-to-day basis. But we are very happy to offer our technology as the first capability and to provide that as a SaaS solution. What's really great is that we try to help people and business partners who generally are just any kind of business that wants to sell insurance, whether they're insurers or brokers or agents or non-insurance businesses, we can work with any of them to help to embed relevant insurance products into their customers' seamless experience. And so the business model extends not just to technology as a SaaS solution, but it also, where necessary, can provide the licenses. If our distribution partner is not a experienced seller of insurance and they're not a licensed seller, we are. And so we bring the licenses, which is one element of how the business model can work, or we can bring the technology, or we can bring the licenses and the technology. And then many times our business partners just don't have the expertise or the infrastructure, whether it's call center or whether it's people who actually understand the products sufficiently. And so we bring that back office capability to the marketplace too. And so when you think about it, we can either provide just tech, tech and license, or tech and license and back office capability, or any combination thereof. As a result of that, it doesn't really matter to us where a potential distribution partner is in their life cycle. They might be at the very early stages and need help with everything, or they might be really sophisticated and licensed and just need better tech. Doesn't matter to us, but it enables us to work with customers and work with business partners, regardless of who they are and regardless of where they are in the life cycle and drop off with them. Quite frankly, isn't it cool? It's almost like being with a consulting firm that's happy to work itself out of the job. (laughs) If one of our partners decides that they want to go get the licenses themselves, we'll support them with that. We help them with that. And until they're ready, we'll provide that. They're still going to be a customer of your software as a service, by the way, but it sort of unabbreviates SaaS is software as a service. Most of our listeners, I'm sure, will be aware of that, but uh, I suppose you're happy helping to develop them. And of course, presumably they've got to that stage, they must be successfully selling quite a lot of insurance and thought, let's do it ourselves. But then they'll probably still be a customer on the software as a service side anyway, right? Everything you said is exactly right, Mark. And what ends up happening is everybody starts to realize that the best way to succeed here is not to view things as you have to do it all yourself. But when I went to graduate school in the US, we used to have a phrase, we said it was, you've got to cooperate to graduate. And I feel that way even about business. Together, we'll be stronger if we just enable one another or we partner with one another or we create an ecosystem. But when everybody feels like they need to do it all by themselves, that is a much bigger pill to swallow than people think. You've got to invest all the technology, the time, the intellectual capacity to think those things through. Why don't you start with someone who actually already does it? And if you really get excited about pieces of it, do the pieces that excite you and let that partner enable you by doing the pieces that you don't want to do. The way you describe yourself as an ecosystem, it doesn't sound very threatening. It sounds a place where everyone can live and thrive and grow together, I suppose, rather than sometimes a platform sounds like it's a bit like it's either my platform or nothing. I was going to ask you about brokers. Over my career, the biggest killer of platforms, aspirant ecosystems has always been when the brokers decide that they see it as a bit of a threat. And obviously you are licensed as an intermediary. How have you managed to overcome that? Because you you were alluding to that at the end of the last question. How do you get that key distribution partner to be really comfortable that you are not in any way after their business and you just want to help everybody grow together? It's a great question. And I will say to you, Mark, that 
one of the biggest challenges that we face is this initial hesitation that comes I can see from, the folded arms of the broker saying, you're going to come and kill me. You're going to come and eat all yeah. my customers. You're going to ingest all my data. You're going to do all this stuff. How do you get over all of that? I'll summarize it for you this way. The very first thing that's just clear is there's a growing interest in tapping into insurance ecosystems. You see it and you hear it everywhere. And you do, especially, Mark, because you follow the space. Yeah, so absolutely. the responses that we're seeing from potential partners are more positive than anything because people are recognizing that they want to find partners who maybe can help them accelerate their process. You made a comment a moment ago that I really loved. And it was really around us enabling others. I agree with you completely. We don't characterize ourselves as a disruptor. We characterize ourselves as an enabler. And we can help everyone, including a broker, to just do some of the things that they're unable to do today at the pace and with the capability that they want to be able to do. And we recognize that over time, they might want to create some of that ability themselves. Super. When they do, we'll reduce the level of involvement that we have. So generally, when we talk about a broker or anyone, there can definitely be some hesitation at first. Sometimes they want to just be the first ones to deploy the new business model in their industry, or they just don't even have experience in how to do this in the first place. And so they're just hesitant for doing anything that's just not business as usual. And so I think the overwhelming factor that drives people to work with us is the need to consider the speed of execution and the change management processes that companies need to do this all by themselves. A lot of partners see that opportunity, but they have a do-it-yourself mindset where they think they can or they have to build everything themselves. And that's what's really tough. But I will tell you, sometimes people say, who's your biggest competitor? Our biggest competitor is probably the do-it-yourself mindset that many folks have. And it's very logical that they have it. But if you want to move faster and you want to do it in a more tried and true, already tested way, this is efficient. Yes. I mean, your tech stack must be very impressive because I, I can imagine when you were first describing thousands and thousands of products in different territories, it would probably bring out anybody in the old AIG, a rash, you know, to say, what? How many products? You can't do that. So presumably that's been the core of your tech is to make that incredibly efficient and scalable. Has that been the core of your tech investment there? It has. We think at the center of everything we do, it has to be the ability to create a flywheel where there's great demand and there's great supply and demand fuels the need for additional supply. The supply fuels the growing demand that's out there. And this thing sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy or a flywheel that once it gets going is hard to stop. And so our priority has been to make sure that we can build the most robust, self-sustaining, growing flywheel as possible. And so we've prioritized how many products can we offer? How many carriers can we get onto the platform? And how can we make this as simple and easy for a distribution partner to plug into as possible? So our technology is driven by APIs, make it very simple yep. for our distribution partners and our insurance carrier partners to connect into us. And how does that work? Is there a sort of auction in some sense to get that best price, best execution for that customer at the end, You know that C, the C in your B2B to see that consumer? Are you able to sort of guarantee that execution or is it much more about distributing the right product? Do you make that choice yourself or is it ultimately down to the consumer? In the end, it's down to the consumer. But I have to say that it starts clearly with the distribution partner because we've created a platform where let's say we have 200 insurance carrier partners on the platform, but a distribution partner is not always going to want to offer 200 different choices. You don't want to confuse the customer. You want yep. to give choice, but you don't want to create confusion. And so what we try to do is we enable the distribution partner to make a choice of which insurance carriers they want to be able to offer. And that's very realistic because the truth is not every distribution partner believes that every carrier was created equal. 
And sometimes they believe that a carrier has better claims capability or better front-end capability or better back-end capability or better customer service than another. And so that's always going to be in the eye of the beholder. And in this case, the distribution partner probably makes the first decision. They decide which carriers do we want to make available on the platform. Once they've decided that, our technology is built to make this as seamless and as simple as possible. So when a customer starts to provide answers to the simple underwriting questions that we ask, the technology actually will weed through the different insurance carriers and we'll be able to decide quickly which are the top handful of carriers who are actually going to have a realistic viable quote for this customer. And by doing this, we maximize the choice, but we minimize the confusion because we quickly get to, with just a handful of questions, the number of carriers or the individual carriers who are going to provide a quote. And we can provide side-by-side comparison. But one of the best things that we do is we have a great recommendation engine. And the recommendation engine will tell you, this is the answer we think makes the most sense. But you don't have to trust us. You can choose for yourself. So it's a combination of a smart technology that enables us to weed through disparate and complex underwriting questions from a wide variety of carriers, and then a separate capability, which is a recommendation engine that will make a simple recommendation. That's what keeps it easy and the experience seamless for the customer. With that said, sometimes a customer doesn't care what our recommendation is. Sometimes a customer just wants to see it for themselves. We respect that and we're okay with that. And once you've created a contract, where do you sit in that? And where does your responsibility end? Do you just get everyone together? And then, for example, for claims, you say, well, you know, that's not where we sit. We're not adding any value there. And also, are you effectively a broker there or are you an agent? You know, you're more like an MGA at that point. And, you know, obviously, there's the difference in the broker and the agent. The broker wants to go and buy more cover for less money. And the agent's quite happy to sell you less cover for more money, but they're both sitting in the middle. What are you on the technical side of this? First and foremost, our priority is to get the best answer that we can for the customer. And so if you said to me, you've got to focus on someone, who are you focused on? I would say we're focused on getting the best answer for our distribution partner into the hands of their customer. We're B2B to C. And so therefore it's the distribution partner's customer. And we want to get the best answer into that customer's hands that's possible. Again, as I mentioned to you before, Sometimes our distribution partners are brokers or licensed intermediaries, in which case we're just the technology that makes it happen faster and makes it happen better and makes it more seamless so that that distribution partner can feel and can look to the customers as though they have the best capable technology available. With that said, sometimes those distribution partners aren't licensed and we are. In that case, we become the broker yeah. and our compensation can be compensation that's the commission that's paid from the insurance carrier that's ultimately where the insurance policy is being placed. So it depends on whether we're a SaaS solution where we are a licensed intermediary like a broker. But if you said like whose interests do we have in mind most, the interests that we have in mind the most are the customer's interests, and we just want to give them choice. So one of the interesting things about us is we're really sort of the kings of choice. Mm -hmm. We're actually not meddling with any insurance carrier's underwriting engine. We're not trying to prioritize one insurance carrier over the other. We're trying to make sure that we understand the things that were important to the customer. When we ask the questions of the customer, the customer tells us what was important. The questions answer underwriting questions for the carrier, and then ultimately it enables us to make a recommendation. But our recommendation is not just a price-based recommendation. Remember, the original selection process of the carriers was first filtered by the distribution partner. Our distribution partner, which might be a telco, it could be a real estate agent, it could be 
any kind of retailer or other financial institution like a finance company. Yeah. Any of these kinds of companies are going to have preferences for what kind of capability do they want to offer to the customer and what priority is most important. It's not always price. What sort of split have you got now between those classic insurance distributors, i.e. licensed intermediaries of some sort or another, where you're acting as that kind of wholesaler or MGA to them, and the non-licensed consumer-focused businesses out of that B2B to C? What sort of split have you got at the moment? And which side of the business do you think is going to grow the fastest, say in five years' time? I would just guess that it's easier to start with people who are already licensed intermediaries. And I presume from day one, you probably got a load of brokers on board because of course you would, and you probably got more revenue with them right now. But I presume you're looking at some point in the future, some of these finance companies, telcos, the Amazons, the hire car companies or whatever, the Airbnbs of this world, they sound like ideal candidates for you to partner with. Where's the split right now? And where do you think it's going to be at some point in the future? I love that question, Mark. And I will tell you that you said it quite well. Because first and foremost, the starting point for this, the place that had the most initial demand was the already licensed distribution partners. And they've already got revenue, they've already got customers, and they can go from day one. As soon as you can get the API sorted, you know, then they're in. Exactly. But I would tell you that the fastest growing part of the business is the non-licensed distribution partners. We love the telco space. We are great in the telco space. Which of these verticals is the one that you think has got the most potential? You know, the average man in the street would think, oh, Airbnb, Amazon, that's going to be obvious. But there are lots of other ways in, aren't there? Presumably they sell phone insurance, right? I mean, for a start. Exactly. So you can start right there. I wouldn't limit it to the telcos, but I love that space. I would tell you because they really are a trusted business partner with so many end customers, right? You're already trusting them. We've all got a phone in our pocket, haven't we? So yeah, it all came from somewhere. So exactly that. And so the way that we see it, Mark, is that we love to think about it as a overall journey. We begin with a simple embedded insurance solution at a telco that begins with device protection. And we call it device protection, protecting the cell phone. By the way, sometimes that protection is pure insurance. Sometimes it's extended warranty and very flexible and very dynamic in terms of the capability. And what I mean by that is that a extended warranty product might be more of a service than an indemnity product. For anyone who really is quite familiar with that space, they'll get it right away. If anyone is not familiar with it, an indemnity, you know, you have a claim, submit the claim, and we'll reimburse you for your lost phone. But a service contract might say, if you have a problem, we'll replace your phone and maybe we'll upgrade your phone and maybe we'll swap you from a Apple phone to a Samsung phone. But that's the starting point with how we deal with a telco. And we can do that in any country across the three continents that I described. Then because a customer's already dealing with the telco, imagine that you probably also buy your internet router or maybe your internet service. And therefore, every home electronic device that's connected to the IoT might also ultimately have a connection back to that telco. We can provide protection there too. And then if we're going to provide protection for your cell phone and all of your home electronics, well, heck, Maybe we can provide protection for all of your home contacts, or maybe we can provide protection for your apartment where all of these devices sit. Because for many people who rent an apartment, the most valuable things that they have are those electronics. Now, I was about to say that, you know, unless you have loads of expensive jewels lying around, which most people don't, when you're looking at your contents and filling out the schedule for the contents, you think, well, it's my laptop, isn't it? That's the most expensive thing I've got in my house. It's crazy, isn't it? Exactly. I haven't got that many individual items that I really would miss more than the laptop. <laughs> you got it. The success of Boltec is probably because of three things. One, we've got a very flexible business model, right? So we can be the technology, the technology plus the license or the technology plus the license plus the expertise that it takes to actually make this work behind the scenes or any combination thereof. That's super. 
The second thing is we have an offering because we have so many products on our exchange. We have an offering that can help a distribution partner work through a very logical life cycle with the customer, beginning maybe at, let's use the cell phone again as the example, beginning at protection for that device in the form of pure insurance or in the form of an extended warranty. And then, oh, by the way, we can help you with all of the home electronics, because that's another capability. And oh, by the way, if we're helping you with all those things, maybe we can help you with your apartment. And if we help you with your apartment, maybe we can help you also with your auto and your apartment as a bundled capability. You can see that there's sort of a logical progression. And I think that many of these distribution partners are seeing that the future very well may be that we can evolve a customer relationship and continue to provide what the customer needs at the point that they need it through a trusted intermediary, a trusted business partner. And who do you trust more, your telco or just some random potential distributor who just popped up and says, hey, I want to sell you? You're already doing business with that telco, as an example. And it's not just limited to the telcos. We work with Samsung, so the OEMs who are manufacturing the products. We work with finance companies who finance the goods at the time that you buy them. And you can see how this can all be a life cycle play. So it's the flexibility of our model, the life cycle play. And then I think lastly, it's the attitude. We're not here to disrupt everybody. We don't think we're better than every insurance company. We don't think that we're here to replace or steal the customer from our end distributor. We're here to enable both the insurance carrier and the insurance distributor to get their job done more efficiently, more effectively. And I suppose on your distribution side, when you're working with someone who's not a licensed intermediary of any kind, just a consumer business, Presumably, there's a lot of handholding to get them comfortable with the idea of becoming a quasi-insurance intermediary, you know, an introducer to the insurance world. Is that really where your big focus is on that distribution workforce that you've got? Is that really what they're working on most of the time? It's pretty easy to sell a broker because a broker already understands insurance, is already regulated, knows exactly what they're dealing with. Presumably, when you're going to a telco that's never done this before, you've got a lot of hoops to jump through. Is that right? Very well said, Mark. And that's really when you think about us having a large distribution organization. It's not that large when it comes to providing the Boltec capabilities to the experts in insurance already today, because they're already experts in it. They're already licensed in it. They just need some enabling capability. Super. But when you go to work with these folks who've never done it before, it's an education process. It's a learning process. It's a product development process a customer journey process. And we have to work with each of those partners in a slightly different way to make it work more efficiently for them, depending on the country, depending on the distribution outlet that they have, depending on their experience. And out of those verticals, you mentioned telcos, obviously, what are on your sort of top five hit list of, if you think the ones with the greatest potential for you to gain custom? We love the telco space but also the OEMs, so like a Samsung or any other manufacturer. So that's great. Another great example is we love the sharing economy or maybe the new world economy. So think about places where the world and the use of previously well-established businesses are evolving. So think about Uber and Grab And now people are using their car to get them to a different location. That requires a different form of insurance. Just like in the state of Florida in the United States, you may see people renting their boat because it's a wonderful place with a lot of coastline where you can rent a boat. But that also has created a new economy and a new capability that's going to have to be created to serve the market. New risks, obviously, yeah. You betcha. And so, as I said, I love the telco OEM space. We love the sharing economy. We love the usage-based economy space where the world is evolving at this very moment. And where you really need that tech, don't you? Because you can have policies that only last half an hour. You betcha. An old legacy insurance company just is nowhere on that. That's right. We're very strong also, Mark, in the 
homeowner space, whether it's renters or homeowners or anything related to that. And so therefore, you could think of it as it could be a agent or a broker who's selling you homeowner's insurance, but it also could be the real estate broker who sells you the home in the first place, finds you the home, sells you the home, hasn't historically focused on what other capability can they bring to their customer, but what a logical time to offer to provide insurance for the home. But at the same time as you're selling the home to the person in the first place, you know, imagine that the size of that market and the opportunity of that market is probably pretty much limitless. Rob, you've raised very substantial amount of funds. It was an eye-catching amount of funds. And I'm, I'm sure you're, you're still raising and you're on follow-on rounds and other things. What's the money for? I mean, presumably, you, I suppose you've got a global business. You've already got 1,500 stuff. You're scaling up, I presume. We really have focused first and foremost on creating the right organic growth. And so that means for us investing in the digital capabilities, the customer experience capabilities, the technology. This is all homegrown technology. So for the most part, it's been built ourselves. And so we've got to continue to invest in that capability to make sure that it is as robust as our distribution partners expect. And they rely on us to have it well controlled, to have it not fail have it strong, but also there's new capabilities that we've got to create in that technology each and every day, as you can imagine. The list of things to do for our digital and tech team is probably endless, Mark, right? (laughs) So without a doubt, it's that. The second thing is really focusing on being able to make sure that we can bring the right capabilities to each of the markets that we operate in. And sometimes that requires us to do acquisitions where we have had to acquire licenses. If you try to operate in 30 countries, you've got to be licensed and understand the rules in every one of those 30 countries. And a failure on the regulatory side is just not acceptable. Not acceptable to Voltec, but not acceptable to any of our partners. And so as a result of that, we have to invest a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of capital into the licensing side of the house including acquiring the licenses where it's too complicated, where it would take too long to go greenfield. Yep. And so that's one of the places where we've invested. And then sometimes we just don't want to build everything ourselves, even if we know that we could build it ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, it would actually almost fly in the face of the business model we try to talk to people about, which is focus on the things you're really good at. and don't be afraid to work as part of an ecosystem and work with others. And so many times inorganically, we're on the hunt for capabilities that we know we need. We know we could build, but we believe maybe someone has already built it and maybe they've even built it better than we would have built it ourselves. And I suppose you get the people as well. You were going to have to hire those people. You might as well acquire the people along with the business, right? Yeah. And you kind of already hinted at this earlier, Mark, anyway. Think about it. We could never get to the number of employees that we have today. We could never get to the capabilities that we have today if we didn't do some of this with the help of inorganic activity. If we're going to do it all organically, I'm going to die of old age. I'm okay with dying of old age, by the way, but I don't want to die of old age trying to build a bolt. Where's your limit? I mean, we've got your B2B2C. Of course, the insurance value chain is B to B to B to B to B to C. You know, there's insurers by reinsurance, reinsurers by retro, there's ILS. Would you always keep yourself at that B to B to C end and near to that consumer, the end consumer, and be in general insurance? Or do you think there's potential for your technology, if you've built that stack, to apply to someone buying some reinsurance or, or retro even, or even, even ILS? We do believe that there is opportunity for this to continue to evolve over time because we have spent so much time in the insurance space. I think we really understand that this market can be one where there's opportunities in the reinsurance space, where there's opportunities in more parametric ILS type capabilities. But we don't try to pretend that we've got all of that solved today. As a matter of fact, there's others out there in the marketplace who maybe have solved elements of this pretty well. And our view is that's fine. We'll work with them 
and not feel as though we have to, again, create all of this by ourselves. So you can get them to plug in and then they can be the B2B2B2C. <laughs> exactly. I think our real responsibility in life is to just help the market move faster to its end destination. And we want to be that enabler that can make this happen faster, better, more seamless, and more smoothly. But that's not going to be a recipe where we do it all by ourselves. Before we go, what you're doing is incredibly entrepreneurial, Rob. So I always like to ask the entrepreneur, what kind of entrepreneur are you? There's some people who are sort of, I'm Rob, I want Bolt Tech to be the kind of thing I hand on to my grandkids, this business I build up over the whole of my life. Or there are other people who love validating an idea, building it up to scale, proving it's definitely worthy, but then want to move on after that because there's always the next thing. Which kind of entrepreneur are you? Great question. I'm not sure that I have the simple answer to it. I'll say this, that I am someone who absolutely has been around this world long enough to know which things I think I would want to see done differently. And so I focused very much on being a true problem solver for the things that I think don't work the way that they should. I also am not here to repeat all the businesses that others have done. I would tell you that I don't think you'll find another company that has a business model because we've talked just about the pure insurance exchange here for the most part in our conversation today, but we do so much in embedded insurance. We do some work in the MGA space. We do things across the value spectrum, but it's because we're solving problems. The great part about this is the problems that we're solving are interconnected, meaning I don't have a great idea that chases a shiny penny out in left field. And then next thing you know, I'm chasing a different shiny object back in right field. Instead, these things are very connected. We know what we're trying to do. We know that we're trying to actually create a Boltec that is not this crazy glom of unrelated capabilities, but it's one basic business model that can begin with no choice, simple embedded insurance, help customers evolve to a complete choice model and be anywhere in between choice and no choice, meaning traditional embedded insurance versus a true marketplace or a true exchange. We believe that these two things are completely connected and we believe that there are problems to solve in the embedded insurance market, there's problems to solve in the choice model. And we're trying to fix all of those just because we've been around for a long time and recognize the things that we wish that someone else would have already done better or done differently. So that's the way I think about what it is. I also probably don't have an aspiration to do this until I'm 100 years old. And so it is my aspiration to build it to put a great team in place that can run with this and take it to the next level because it's almost like having a president. President should have a term limit because at some point in time, my ideas and my contribution here will reach its optimal point. And then it would be best for Boltec if someone took it to the next place. And so, so you have some idea in your mind that there is an exit at some point, but it's some way off, I presume. Yes. I think. I would never want an investor to be scared off by that because the truth of the matter is, it's not like I'm trying to get out of here. It's just that I recognize that they'll be better served if the next set of ideas comes up through the organization. Yeah. And before we go, let's clear up about embedded insurance. It probably is the buzzword of 2023 in, in short tech circles. What you're doing really is embedded insurance. And when you're talking about B2B2C, is that, is that what we mean by embedded insurance, particularly where those non-insurance entities are enabled to sell insurance accompanying their services and products? So I think the way we think about it is, if you think about a choice model, like we run with our big exchange, quote, $50 billion premium, you could imagine how any product that's offered on that exchange, on that choice model, could be improved with embedded capabilities. Just like you could imagine how anyone who provides embedded protection today, let's take the telco yep. who protects your cell phone 
could be well served by helping the customer graduate beyond protecting just the cell phone, but protecting the home electronics by protecting the home contents by protecting the home. And so our view on all of this is that these two models converge and these two models have a logical connection point where we are happy to go from a marketplace to embedded or from an embedded to a marketplace. And it's one of the things that I think is most different about Bolta. Because you could have embedded choice, couldn't you? you? You hit it. And I actually believe over time, the world may get to that. It's not there today. So we're fine with the no choice, simple embedded model, just helping people evolve ultimately to choice. Yes, no, do you want it or not? You betcha. Um, or, but it could be at some point, yes, no, do you want yourself unprotected by AIG or MapFray? <laughs> you got it. Okay, Rob, you must be incredibly busy. You're doing an amazing job and good luck with everything. And if you continue at this growth rate, you'd be 500 billion before we know it. And the latest Swiss Re report is, was it how many trillion of insurance premium are there in the world? Six trillion? Yes. Something like that. You're getting a share of that. So good luck as you eat further into all that and help digitize the world of insurance. I really have enjoyed talking to you. It's a fantastic vision. And I hope you can book in some time at some point in the future to give us an update because I'm sure it will be a different story and will have evolved hugely in any intervening time. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>